0: Hello and welcome to the Q Club Podcast with me, your host, Kev Teasdale. On this episode, I'm joined by the magician, Sean Murphy. Sean is currently in Milton Keynes, competing in the Masters, but he was generous enough to grant me a bit of his time to talk about Snooker's Biggest Loser. Before we start, please take a moment to like or share this podcast, be it on social media or via your podcast provider, as this will really help the channel to grow. Thank you so much for all of your continued support sean murphy thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, i'm a huge fan i know i've caught you bang in the middle of the masters so i do appreciate mm. you coming on the podcast just for a little bit of, of a chat and get a little bit of your time
1: no it's an absolute pleasure i have to say it's actually nice to do something because you spend a lot of time in these hotel rooms uh you can only go and have a couple of hours you know practice per day um there's nothing to do there's nowhere to go <laughs> so i may as well uh come and speak to you thanks thanks for having me on
0: no problem. I know that I was speaking to a few uh, of the snooker players in the last competition. They said they they had to book out time to get a little, just a little bit of a slot to be able to get on the tables, and especially at the beginning of the competition when it was, you know, it was hectic, first come, first serve, and they had a basically you had like a market to put your name in to try and get in. What had been like down there, at Milton Keynes through the Masters? I think there's obviously a lot less lost, lost a lot less of you there.
1: Well, there's a lot less, but there's fewer practice tables, so it's the same. It's the same problem. But that's that's how it is at every tournament. You always have to book your slots. You can't just wander in. Yeah. Um, you know, snooker. I, I, you know, my coach Chris Henry also coaches on the golf tour. Due, you know, doing the mental side of things with some of the PGA Tour professionals, and you know, he tells me the practice ranges at golf course events. You know, there's just bay upon bay upon bay where people can go and hit balls. We unfortunately don't have that thing, so you yeah. always have to. Uh, book your slots in advance that's not a new uh, phenomenon but um, certainly since Covid has struck everyone's become you know everyone's had to become a bit more rigid uh, with how that works Uh, World Snooker have got you know one-way systems in and out everything gets sanitized between sessions Um, so you know it's it's all had to become a bit more robust uh, and players have had to be a little bit more um, you know, organised yeah. uh, in in looking ahead at when they want to practice, how that fits with their you know prepa- preparations for matches and stuff, and just be a little bit more organised. And uh, that suits some more than others.
0: Speaking of golf, have you been managed? Have you managed to get yourself out? Because I know you're quite a a, a good go- a golf a sport fan, a golf fan.
1: Yeah, no, a big golfer fan. Uh, you know, I play as much as I can, but you know, I just haven't played at all really. I, yeah. you know, my mates and I we managed to get out for a few socially distanced games of course it's always socially distanced because they're always in the trees <laughs> and i'm always down the middle but uh, no seriously in all seriousness um no i mean it's it's just been an absolute terrible time hasn't it yeah. for everyone and all things like that of just you know one minute the golf courses are open next minute they're shut you know it's just very very difficult to to know where you are with anything at any one time so they've gone away they're in the shed and who knows when they'll uh, see the light of day
0: <laughs> well Christmas seems like uh ages ago under the circumstances now the world being the way it is was it nice to get to spend a little bit time with the family because I know you're little and still still really young relatively young
1: yeah it was lovely yeah ah, it was lovely and um you know even even getting woken up early doors in the mornings by the two kids you know you know it was quite nice I mean especially having been here for three months almost Mm -hmm. you know just turning over every morning I only get up in the mornings now when I'm away to watch (laughs) Frasier there's a Frasier double bill on channel Uh, (laughs) four and uh, you know if I miss it at nine o'clock I can catch it on plus one but you know that's the only thing that gets me up when I'm away so uh, it was nice to see the kids it was nice to see Elaine and spend some time at home and Actually, because of uh, lockdown rules, you know, we had a very, very close-knit Christmas. It was our first year in our new new home, and uh, the pressure was on us to host everyone. So when the government in Ireland, which obviously had different rules to the UK, when they said, you can't have anyone, we were like, you know, that suits us fine. (laughs) Um, We're actually okay. So it was nice, and we we had what we wanted to eat rather than what everyone else wants to eat, and uh,
0: it was nice. Did, did you just go like full out? Was there, was it just did it look like a grotto in there? Or were you able to go a little bit less key, less like the low key?
1: Uh, we would be fairly low key anyway, but we we had the normals. You know, yeah. we did all the proper stuff. You'd have definitely known it was Christmas. But some <laughs> of our neighbours, some of our neighbours went, uh, you know, a little bit more into it than we did. But uh, the kids drive it really, don't they? You know, especially I we were young children, so yeah. you know what they're into. We do what they want. Really, the house obviously once Santa had been, the house was full of Hot Wheels. Stuff. <laughs> So uh, you could barely see the Christmas tree. It was just full of Hot Wheels tracks and cars and circuits and stuff like that. I think we're going to, I'm perhaps thinking of changing my career from a snooker player. I'm going to be a a YouTube Hot Wheels track builder um, and see where we go with that.
0: So around, around New Year, you see a post from MC and all around nice guy, Phil Seymour, which gave you an idea. So I heard you give him a call.
1: Yeah, well, what happened was I knew that I knew the weight had been creeping on myself for some time, you know, especially here in lockdown. Whilst competing, you know, you sat in the hotel rooms; there's nothing really to do. Yeah. I'd completed Deliveroo and just <laughs> eat, and I just thought, you know, I need to do something with my life here. But I, I need that sort of end goal. Mm-hmm. I need an end date. I need a reason. Uh, yeah. And so I was, I was thinking of what I could do, and I was literally scrolling through Twitter as you do, and I came across Phil's tweet where he'd said that he wanted to. Uh, he wanted to do a bit himself. He'd just been out for the first run of the new year and he was looking for a challenge. And I just private messaged him and just, you know, I know him very well. I just said, do uh, you fancy doing something together? Uh, it wasn't like I rang him out of the blue yeah. and said, uh, you need to lose a bit of weight. Do you want to do it with me? It wasn't <laughs> yeah. quite like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we just agreed to, to do something together. You know, we came up with snooker's biggest loser, mm. literally to see who can lose the most weight between now and the start of the world championships. And um, we, we decided to combine it with two good charities, obviously mm-hmm. Kitchen for Everyone in York, which is a charity very close to Phil's heart living in York. He's done a yes. lot of work with them. And the Jesse May Trust, which is World Snooker's partner as well. So, yes, it was uh, it was hopefully the worst, the absolute worst case scenario is that we get to the eve of the World Championships. We have both slimmed down a little bit and the two charities have made a few quid. So, you know, it's a win win for us. One of but the... we, now do, we now do actually have to go and lose some weight, so, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, like. One us. of the
0: things I've enjoyed uh, the most so far is the banter on the social media banter between yourselves. Now, I've seen everybody's getting involved. Neil Robertson was talking about pizza boxes outside your room. And Phil wanted us to ask you about um, the sweets at the tournament office and the um, apparent donuts getting taken to your room. Now, I know a lot of this is in jest. What do you reply to that one? Well, the
1: donuts were for the staff here at the hotel because they've been so accommodating. I did buy them and they they were on my person for a period of time, but they weren't for me. I can absolutely swear. And the girls on reception here at the hotel (laughs) will vouch for me. Uh, I don't know what Neil Robertson's game was. was uh, <laughs> these spurious allegations with no factual basis at all. There was a pizza box in the hallway, so it must have been Sean Murphy's. I mean, I, you know, I'm the only person who's ever eaten a pizza in this hotel, of course. Phil's but, got his spies uh,
0: out, I think. Phil's got his spies out, and they're trying to discredit you, Sean, I think.
1: Well, it's not the first thing <laughs> that's been said about me that's untrue. I have to say, it's not the, it's not the only uh, false story out there about Sean Murphy, but uh, it is false. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have to come clean. Uh, Phil, uh, you were sent some uh, bait and you took it uh, for poor Donna. You know, she sent out this tweet that I'd been in and awesome. ravished the sweets. It was all a bit of a setup. We just wanted to see if we could get in Phil's head.
0: And, of course, we did. It was a big bite. There was a big bite on Facebook. I thought. Wasn't there? <laughs> Now, I've seen some of the pre- uh, pre-prepared meals on social media that you've put on, Sean, and I must say they do look good, mate. Who's been preparing your meals for you?
1: Yeah, well, I'm just working with a company uh, called Tweaked Meals, mm. and they they are the official food supplier to Chelsea Football Club, um, a few other football clubs in the London area, some rugby teams, and a few sort of, you know, influencers and personalities, um, you know, in that kind of space. And they're, they're a company that's about to go live to the public. And basically, they are a step further than... Some of the current food delivery services that are out there, their yeah. food comes to you completely, fully prepared, ready to go. It's all calorie counted. Obviously, you know, working with Chelsea Football Club, everything has to be calorie yeah. contented to the number. Um, and as I say, their sort of unique selling point, not unique, but I, you know, one of their big points is that it comes ready. You literally pop it in the microwave for two minutes and off you go. And for somebody like myself, who, if left to my own devices in the hotel here, You know, there's a lot of businessmen would be traveling regularly in hotels. They'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, the hotel menus are nice, but it's not exactly aimed at people trying to lose weight. So I know that I can pop one of those meals in the microwave uh, for two or three minutes. I know exactly how many calories You know, lunchtime today. There was four hundred and twenty calories in what I had for lunch, and they'll be similar in my dinner tonight. So I'm way underneath. My my, you know, daily allowance, and 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 I know that today I'll be slightly lighter than I was yesterday, and you know, I don't know how Phil's going to win, frankly. I just don't know how he's <laughs> going to do it, unless he has a limb chopped off or something. I don't know. But, uh,
0: Have you got a training regime know. in place, uh, Sean, or is it like kind of top secret? Any outside training that you're doing?
1: To be honest with you, the, the training is. Um, I'm not quite ready for it yet. I think if you're carrying a bit of extra weight um it's just actually it's prohibitively difficult you know right. it's not that you it's not that you well you're just a bit behind everyone else and you'll get there It actually hurts and there's bits yeah. of my you know it hurts your knees or you know i had it before where i was running you know when lockdown started last year mm-hmm. i used to go out running a little bit for a few weeks but you just get some some idiot on twitter saying i'll oh, just run past you you need a sports bra or whatever yeah. you know whatever and you just think yeah no that's funny it's funny the first twenty thousand times i heard it um but, you know, so you just kind of avoid that. So, yeah, I mean, when I when I drop a bit of weight, um, I definitely will get into the fitness side of it. Um, but they do say you can't out-train a bad diet. And and I have to say that the big thing for me is that, you know, my diet for the last 20, 25 years has been terrible. Yeah, And it's, you know, one of the things I'm trying to do now is educate myself on my relationship with food, mm. why I put in my body, what I do, and trying to change my habits. And that starts with, you know, what goes what
0: goes down. So you're very well known, Sean, uh, for your charity, charity work, not even, not just at home, but abroad, you know, do, do donating prize money, the Paul Hunter Foundation, the Royal Manchester, uh, found the, the Royal Manchester Children's Hospital, to name uh, just a few now. It's great to see sportsmen um, of elite level like yourself, who have such a huge fan base, kind of actively looking to try to make a change, like especially in these times.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think first and foremost, you know, you know, everyone at the moment is struggling, aren't they? I don't yeah. know anyone who isn't struggling. I don't know anyone who's thriving at the moment. And that goes for charities as well. You know, yeah. charities aren't getting the donations. They're not getting that getting those um, charitable aids that they would have been doing in the past. And of yeah. course, they they still have to crack on. They still have to go. They still have to look after the people they serve. So, you know, I think we've picked two really good charities here. Yeah. Um, i'm going to add to it myself you know i said the other day on my insta stories that uh, from now on every century break i make until the start of the world championships i'm going to put 100 pounds aside for the charity and if i do happen to flick a 147 in, i'll increase that to 500. Well, that's it'll something be, it'll i be used your to do
0: so it'll be a yeah, well,
1: there. yeah well unfortunately on my on, on recent form it might not cost me that much <laughs> but, uh, but it's something i used to do with royal manchester children's hospital that was a really good initiative and that caught the public's imagination i got the idea from uh, Phil Mickelson in the golf, I think he still does it. He donates yeah. $500 for every birdie, um, I think, to maybe military wives or something like that. And um, I just think it's good. But I think we've seen, you know, uh, for, for all the bad press that some celebrities and sports people get yeah. these days, I think you see people like Marcus Rashford stepping yes. up to the plate using their platform. You know, I'm certainly not the only person doing it. And there are people doing it far and above the level to which I can give. You know, we're we're not footballers, we're not tennis players, golfers. We don't have that kind of revenue to to be able to spread around. But um, you can only do your best. And uh, we're, you know, as I say, the worst case scenario here is that when we get to the end of our challenge, we'll we'll be both be able to give these charities money they didn't have before. And as I say, that's a win win.
0: Now, I will leave a link to both of the charities and the GoFundMe page. They've raised, I think it's have raised almost £2,000 up to now, and I think it was only 1000 so you've got double that, and you're not, not even halfway through January.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, we, 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 we thought we would at- achieve the target of 1000 I think we were quite modest with that. I mean, I've never set up a GoFundMe page in my life. I <laughs> didn't know what I was doing, knocked it up in 15 minutes. But, um, you know, I think we thought we would surpass it. But I don't think we, we blitzed it in 36 hours. and i think we were like wow this is this has really caught the imagination of people out there they were backing us supporting us and i I spoke to phil i said you know we actually better lose some weight here you know you and i now we better go and do it and that's kind of kept us honest but yeah we're up to nearly two grand now so we've you know we've gone way past our initial target and i guess our hope is you know we haven't really set a number but you know i just keep trying to urge people that you know although we have gone past where we started um, you know, every single pound, every single penny does make a difference. These are charities who are having a direct effect on people's lives. There's no agencies involved. There's no middlemen. There's no high paid executives going to be taking their percentages. This money is going to go directly yes. to the people who need it. And so if people can give, we're urging them to, you know, please give generously.
0: Uh, lastly, congrats on Monday uh, to say that you were trending on Twitter. Um, after the fourth frame would be an understatement. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I must, it just went up, the Twitter went absolutely crazy, and I was like, yes. And then I watched it. I mean, I've had a few people say, you know, I, you, you tried to play safe on the black, and, I, and then I saw your interview, and it said, you know, not you felt so embarrassed because of what you did with the pink, like you thought, mm, I've got to go for this now. Mark won't, uh, he won't be too happy if I don't try it at least.
1: I just felt, to be, I felt so embarrassed having flew the pink. You know, I tried to knock the pink up and down the table and put it near the black for safety. You know, I was in a terrible position. You know, it was a quite awkward scenario. And I hit it, I thought, oh no, I've got it all wrong. And the pink went in the pocket without touching the sides. I was like, oh no. So then I was embarrassed really. I put my hand up and then I'm now faced with the black down the cushion, but I don't know what to do with it. The safety shot was was almost impossible. I couldn't really see what to do. So I just thought, well, you've just potted a ball, very similar to this, albeit by accident. Yeah. Um, but but you know you've just so you know let's 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 have another go and see if you can go. I couldn't believe it went
0: in. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. I mean, you're known for your exceptional long putting, but that black off the top cushion was a, a little bit special. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't like to work out the odds on them, but I'd say
1: that's like a (laughs) one in 20 shot. You know, you wouldn't pop pop many of those shots. I mean, you used to see those types of shots all the time back in, you know, the 90s and 80s. The pockets were massive, of course. Back then, you know, the balls used to sail in, but you wouldn't see many of those shots now on a star match table. They're going down the rail like that. It was... uh, you know, probably not a one in a million,
0: but maybe one in twenty. <laughs> so big game tomorrow. You're playing uh, Stewart, defending champion. You just have a really good, um, a good game together. You and uh, Stewart. You always seem to go right to the right to the like the final game. The last last few times it has been like a nine eight, nine eight, um, which is always a great occasion. And, yeah, I'm sure everyone's looking forward to that match without a doubt.
1: I think our games are very similar. I think we're both good scorers. I think we both play the game. You know, I think we both try and win matches rather than waiting for our opponents to make mistakes. I think we both try and win from the front. We go for, you know, our chances go for the long pots, try and score in one visit. And I suppose, you know, you look at our CVs, you know, they're fairly similar. Um, You know, he's obviously the defending champion this week, a former world champion as well. You know, the CVs would be, you know, somewhat similar. And so I guess that, you know, our games are, uh, you know, probably, you know, they complement each other to some degree. And and that's probably why our, you know, matches have been so good and so close in the past.
0: Sean, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Best of luck for the rest of the tournament. And would you like to finish with a message to your uh, snooker's biggest loser challenger, Phil Seymour?
1: Well, as I say, I mean, you know, I, with the support of everyone that I've got, I've got everyone here at the hotel on my side, Phil. Everyone in Milton Keynes wants me to win. I think the majority of people on social media want me to win. And, and I've done it before, of course. They know that I can do it. Um, Phil, unless you chop a leg off or you're going to lose an arm, I just don't see how you can win, mate. Nobody, nobody would mind if you dropped out now. If you decided it was too much of a job, you didn't want to face the humiliation, you can walk away now.
0: Sean, thank you so much. Thanks very much. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you for taking the time out to listen. I welcome feedback from my listeners and would appreciate it if you give this channel a star rating, leave a review, or both, as this would really help the channel to grow. Join me next time on the Q Club podcast.